4: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We're live today from Huntington Beach, California, at the Future Proof Conference. It's an event that bills itself as the world's largest wealth festival have a big hour ahead beginning with another inflation gut punch that CPI coming in hotter than expected. We'll debate what it means for the Fed and your money in the weeks ahead. Joining me for the hour today Josh Brown who's Ritholtz Wealth Management is a co-creator of this event. Our senior economics reporter Steve Leisman is here with us. At well we're lucky to have him today of course with this inflation read. Also with us Stephanie Link and Jason Snipe, Brynn Talkington, Brenda Vangelo, Liz Young. They are also all out here And they're going to join me shortly. Let's check the markets first and foremost, where it is an ugly day. As you know, we are down across the board. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down by nearly 900 points. That's a two and three quarter percent loss. S&P 500 losing more than three percent. It is the Nasdaq. And boy, look at that. Five hundred points. That's more than a four percent decline there. Yields popping on that number today. Three forty three is the number on the 10 year note yield. The two year is something to keep an eye on as well as we begin our conversation here. And Josh, you know we're, we're here at this event and everybody's having a good time. It's a lot of financial advisors here who are gonna have to give a lot more financial advice today yeah. because of what's happening in the market. I heard you say earlier, if things keep going like this today, you're gonna have to be a buyer. And it just leads me to what the market's doing, whether it's overdoing it or if this is, is, is right, is what's supposed to happen. So
5: two things that I'm looking at right now, and I think a lot of people here are looking at right now, the two-year treasury, which I regard as the shadow fed, the Fed will end up where the two-year Treasury is for the most part. As long as that is doing what it's doing, I just don't think it to get stability in the stock market. Then you look at the 10-year, almost three and a half. When we were at three and a half in June, it triggered that waterfall sell-off. And I think that is an area where stocks just, it's, it's almost like an off-limits area. Now the VIX is only 26. The VIX could go higher. We've seen prints of 34, 36 on the VIX this year. That is the area, and I hope we don't get there, but if we do, that's what you need to have dry powder for. That's where you just have to say, you know what, I get it, I understand, inflation is hot, higher for longer, that's fine, I'm buying companies. But see,
4: I heard you say earlier, rather than, you know, when you came into the, the room today, uh, where we were all gathered before the show, it wasn't batting down the hatches. No. It was, first thing you said, hey, if things keep going like this, you got to be a buyer. I've got to buy so. them. And we said, well, what would you buy? You said, all of them. Buy all the things. Look,
5: here's, here's, here's the reality. If you were expecting a 7.9 on this number, and that was going to be the reason to have the Dow rally 600 points, which very conceivably could have happened, I'm sorry you didn't get that. But the reality is there's not that much difference between 8.3 and 7.8. All of these numbers are horrible numbers. So we know the Fed has to continue doing what it's doing. I think if your expectation was otherwise, if you were in this pivot camp, you really are going to have to get some religion right now because the prints are not going to be coming in lower. Next month will not be a low print. You've got to get that out of your head. The Fed is doing what it's supposed to do, but that process doesn't happen overnight.
4: So let's talk about, Steve, what the Fed may do uh, next week. Hatsius Goldman Sachs just puts out uh, 75 basis points coming next week, then 50, then in then now. 50, then 50. Yeah. Right? So everybody's kind of ratcheted up their expectations, as has the market. As you pointed out earlier, what was there, an 80% chance of 75 and a 20% chance of, of 100? Yeah. And that was earlier, and maybe that's moved a little bit too. But why don't you speak to what you think this means for the Fed?
6: I think that 100 is probably not going to happen right now. Um, I, I think what, what I've been trying to say on this show uh, pretty repeatedly, Scott, is don't get too hung up in the increments. Get more interested and focus on the destination, and that destination changed a bit today, but it's over 4 percent. I think it's been in and around 4 percent for a while. The Fed has to get there for a variety of reasons. If you do a very quick math, you take an underlying inflation rate of 2.5 or 3 percent. You say normally it should be a half a point positive, and then you got to add restrictive on top of that. You get to 4 percent pretty pretty quickly, Scott. I think, I think that's really uh, the key to think about here, which is that – and it wants to get there relatively quickly because – Today, the Fed is less restrictive than the Fed than the market thought it was going to be. I'm really interested in this trade, how the market swings back and forth between you know euphoria and depression uh, uh, on 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 one number. Whether or not that's the right thing, I I don't think so. But during the break, um, Josh says something I think is really interesting about the hurdle rate. And if you don't mind, to me is something the way I think about the world too. You can go into the market now and get a two year Treasury mark uh, that returns you three and three quarters. And it's a two-year limit on that. So if I buy it now, I'm going to be out of my trade in two years. That's a higher hurdle for stocks. So whatever you think the right thing to do with stocks is right now, you've got to look and base it upon your assessment of the risk-free rate. And that risk-free rate may go up a little bit. It may be 4% or three, three-quarters. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there for everyone, a bit.
5: Everyone here is an allocator. So there's about one, $1.8 trillion in assets represented at this event. Um, but that's exactly right. You have to justify the investment you're making versus the risk-free rate
6: right it's not it's if not I can an put absolute. my feet up and put my hands behind right. my head and chill out and make three and three quarters well it sure beats losing money well there goes
4: the that that speaks directly to that there is no alternative argument which died a while ago died. uh and is is dead and buried at least for the moment because of all the things that you were talking about jason snipe so what do you want to do as an investor in this market today which is just downright ugly
3: Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, and I think there's obviously a couple of great points that were already mentioned by Steve and Josh. I think for me, it's just getting to this terminal rate. Obviously, inflation is pervasive. The whole pivot story is is a is a non-story in my book. We have to get there, uh, in my opinion. Just whether it's whether it's four percent, four and a quarter, we have to get to restrictive policy. You know, the concern with with the with the numbers today was core. You know, core Mm -hmm. was double. What what the expectation was, and it was double what came in last uh, last print. So you know, with wage inflation, shelter costs, shelter costs were up 70 70 basis points. I mean, these numbers are large. That like as Josh said, likely they'll be large next month. We just need to get to restrictive policy, and then. Uh, Start to position from there. But from my perspective, we've been relatively defensive uh, all year. Energy, healthcare, I think are areas, but I think you cannot abandon growth. And I've mentioned this before. Um, you know, prices are becoming more attractive there. There's There will be opportunity over the next 60 days to 90 days. And I think you just have to, if you don't have positions there, uh, you have to start to build one. And I think even with the pullback, you could start to add. Uh, shortly, So that's that's really my place, you know, in my perspective as, as from a market, you know, looking at the market here and looking at all the volatility we've seen uh, today and over the last couple of weeks. Steph,
4: Steph, you always try and take a, a positive view on, on where we are, but you've been more cautious than you've been in, in a while of of late. Do we need to start thinking about going back to the June lows or, or not? We're significantly higher still, even with today's Carnage. Um, We're about ten percent or so higher on the S and P from those mid-June lows. Are you now thinking to yourself we we may have to go back there or not?
7: We certainly could, absolutely. If you look within the details of the of the report, the CPI report, yes, gasoline prices fell ten percent month over month. But listen to this: you had rents and shelter accelerate year over year food accelerated year over year medical care accelerated year over year education also accelerated year over year and oh by the way everyone got so excited about used car prices last month because they fell well used car prices actually accelerated year over year and we haven't even really even talked about the balance sheet and qt and what that headache is going to represent so yeah we did just rally about 10% off the june lows we could easily go back there because what does all this mean? The Fed is going to be tighter for longer, higher for longer, right? And so when that happens, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so you and I've talked about a lot this year that this is a trading range kind of a market. And this is exactly what we're seeing. So I'm not, by the way, surprised at all to see the reaction in the markets. And I do think that the uh, the markets overall are a little more vulnerable, vulnerable because we just did see this nice uh, this nice balance yeah. right so i am still very much focused on more value versus more growth i have energy you know i'm mm-hmm. overweighted uh you know utilities agriculture those are kind of areas where i think it's kind of a hedge um and i also still um, i look i look at discretionary that, that actually is very interesting sector for me because it's down so much so i i'm finding places but i said last week i have a little more cash and a lot more patience in this environment
4: yeah, this was going to be a binary event uh, the whole time uh, today. A better than expected uh, read. Yeah. Stocks were going to be the uh, the other way. I mean, it, 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 was, it was so obvious going in as to what was going to happen. So nobody's really surprised by what we see. But, Steve, I, I feel like this presents this great conundrum for the Fed. Um, one of needing to let the hikes work their way through the system, being patient enough, so to speak, to, to be able to do that and not overreact to this number, along with the current situation, because the inflation, I mean, the rate hikes that they've already done haven't
6: fully worked their way through the system. And that's why it's so dicey for the Fed. I think that's a great point, Scott. I actually brought a chart, not knowing you're going to ask this question, that sort of illustrates this point. Guys, if you have that housing versus the CPI core chart, what you see here is that you saw that you'll see the CPI core is kind of moderated a bit, but uh, housing kept going. You are still going to have some housing influence to the... uh, Uh, Housing price increases influence to the CPI over a while, but it should start to come down. See, look at that, it goes straight up while the core moderated, right? So there is a lag in there, and that is a danger. I think the Fed believes that there's not a lot of risk or question about getting to that 3 and 3 quarters to 4 percent range. The bigger question is do they have to go even further than that? Over four percent, up to five percent. The three and three quarters to four percent I've sort of maintained is a gimme and has been a gimme for quite a while here. They need to get there, they need to get restrictive. And you're right, there is a danger on the other side. And yet, when you look at the CPI, you know, you put in an economist on a desert island, I think they'd say gimme prices. Prices tell you mm-hmm. everything going on in the economy. If you have these still robust prices, it still tells you the consumers out there buying, because if not, the retailers aren't idiots. They'd be cutting. The biggest thing to me today was the apparel being up 0.2. I heard all these stories about over-inventories, yeah, and ordering. there was an expectation among a lot of economists, you're going to see a negative inside the goods. It didn't happen. They're still robust when so it comes me, to goods me ask prices. Let this, Josh, if last, you, the apparel right if, there. if you
4: think that there's a, a greater chance of a policy mistake By the fed which is essentially what steve and i are are talking about what do you do if you are allocating capital if you are an investor yourself what are you supposed to do if you think that risk is elevated today as a result of what the calls are because of where inflation came in today
5: so to be very honest with you there has already been a massive policy mistake people forget the fed was buying mortgages in march mortgage bonds in march with the housing market up double digits two years in a row nationally home prices were up 40 percent in two years unprecedented and the fed continued to stimulate that market there still is no explanation for that so it's not about worrying about a future policy error i think the problem is that we have to get through the policy error that has already caused what we're living through
4: yes no but 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 if you call what they've done a policy error error that has not been um catastrophic so to speak to the economy itself a policy mistake on this side of the coin too tight is, too, is a whole yeah. difference maker. Not if you ask
6: normal Americans, though. That's the thing. It's so interesting to me, and, and I, I, I should have been attuned to this before, Scott, but, you know, we do our our, our CNBC All-America survey. Look at all of the other public opinion surveys. As far as the public is concerned, high inflation is as bad or worse than high unemployment. I kind of think they're wrong in terms of the total effect on their livelihood. However, I'm not going to judge that. If you look at the surveys, people are on wrong track on the economy, Uh, economy bad now going to get worse. All of that stuff tells us that people believe that from their personal standpoint, it is just as bad to have high inflation. And so this mistake has been, as far as they're concerned,
4: catastrophic. And why does... Bryant, Brian Moynihan and you know everybody else over the last you know handful of days come out and talk about how strong the consumer is I hear you it makes I total know, sense because there's so much pain that people are feeling because of inflation I, I, I because I say it's one one not, showing, it, it's that's not why. showing up yet
6: one thing that's disheartening to me is I look at all of this data at the end of the day the only data I need to look at is gas prices it determines how people feel, how they think, and to some extent how they spend. And and I think the consumer is stronger than they were before. There are 3.4 million people, more people employed, 3.5 million more employed than there were in January. At the same time, their attitude is such that inflation is the be all and end all, all right, I hope of their view. Here, seven, uh, a helicopter going over the beach. Here we are live uh, in Huntington Beach,
4: California. Uh, Professor Jeremy Siegel, he's our headliner today, of course, of the Wharton School. Uh, he's been outspoken uh, not only on inflation I- itself, but what the Fed should do about it. And, uh, Professor, it's great to talk to you today. Uh, you, you had made the argument that inflation is coming down broadly and that it was going to lessen what the Fed had to do. You want to rethink that today?
8: <laughs> I, I want to uh, elaborate on what Steve has just talked about. And that is that we've actually had a lot more inflation over the last 18 months than recorded in the official statistics, and we're going to show a lot more inflation next 18 months, and that actually is going to happen. And the reason is specifically housing, and the way the government puts housing into those statistics. It, for months, I was we as as Josh just said, we had 40 percent rise in housing prices. If you look at the CPI housing index, it was up like seven and eight percent because of the way that they, they do the calculation so it understated over the last 18 months it's going to overstate if you're on the ground today you talk to real estate brokers they say prices are not rising anymore in real estate in fact they are falling falling on a nationwide average basis will you see that in the cpi no you will not see that in the cpi for 18 months um what i'm saying is that we're going to get that overstatement just like we got the understatement Then That's the risk of an over-tightening Fed. Now, yeah, the Fed will go 75, you know, and they may go 50 and 50 again, like Goldman Sachs said. We may get over 4%. Let me also remind people, you know, hey, that sounds attractive. The long-run return on stocks is over 6% after inflation after inflation this yeah, is a four percent before professor, inflation
4: professor you 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 can't you can't suggest 75 oh they may go 75 and they may go 50 and then another 50 and, and be bullish the stock market in the same time can you well i mean it's
8: already built in i mean that's why you have a four three four percent drop today it's already in the future i think that they're they're actually anticipating that um my feeling is that you know, if they see the slowdown, if they take a, a correct view on what future inflation is, they may not have to go that high. That's the relief the market is watching. Are you, you know, is, is inflation really proceeding or is this just a lot of statistical distortion because of the way when they, 1981, they totally changed the way housing prices go into inflation? I mean, don't forget housing prices. I hear you. 50 percent of the core rate, almost 50 percent. If they're not going up anymore, you you knock the core rate in half of what we just saw. Um, I'm just telling you, maybe the it's statistics just maybe it's just
4: actuality. Yes, Professor, maybe it's just going to be maybe it's going to be stickier than you thought. Maybe they're going to keep their rates up longer at this level, if not higher than you think. Doesn't that, that, that change would be the, policy the dynamic mistake. for what the stock market can do? That, well, that but isn't is that more policy? likely than not
8: at this point? Well, listen, <laughs> um, I think they're going to look at the economy, and I hope they understand what the statistics are versus what the on-the-ground inflation is. And although they have to stand firm now because, as Josh said, they really made a terrible mistake by staying low weight too long— you know, they they we're we're all expecting and hoping they're not going to stay tight too long. But the market is a bit nervous about that. Um, but listen, you know, when Professor, we say it's tight too long, we're gonna we're we're they're going to look at the data. They're going
4: to look at the data. Professor, I mean, what do you, what do you mean on on the ground? If you go um, rent an apartment now, it's more expensive yeah. than it was. Yeah. If you go to the oh. grocery store. It's more expensive than it was. Absolutely. Gasoline is down uh, uh, a lot. Right. But, but, but we're inflation talking seemingly about, everywhere else is nasty.
8: We're talk, take it. Take house prices and extremely important housing prices are going down. Now, rentals are certainly jumping from a year ago and two years ago. They're jumping quite a bit. I've talked to realtors, say, you know what? I'm not getting the jump I got three months ago. Sure, I would I could get a 15% jump. Three months ago, I could get a 20% jump. Now, the way the government does it, they'll say, oh, 15% jump as soon as the lease is renewed. Now, to me, th- this is not the right way to calculate it, but this is the way they do it. Steve, you, you know, you I talked about that is. very
4: issue. It and, is what it is. Result, right. as a result, you're going to get that inflation. Well, I mean, you play the game in front of you, Professor. It Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Uh, well, we can just argue about the real. metrics and what they mean.
8: What I'm saying is we probably had over 10 percent inflation, was recorded seven or eight. It's going to record much more than we actually have year over year and even month over month, particularly with the housing, is going to be overstating inflation, in my opinion, true inflation over the next six to 12 months. Let us hope the Fed recognizes that. That's my point.
4: So, so Professor, bef- before I let you go, um, your outlook for the market for the remainder of this year is it changed today for the negative or not? Because you still have been suggesting that we could have a decent move higher into the end of the year. Have you yeah. changed that view or not? I
8: still think there's a possibility. There's a strong possibility. Yes, I think there's a strong possibility that Chairman Powell or some of the Fed members saying, you know what? We're looking around and we think we might be getting some control on inflation that's all the market wants to hear. Wow, if it hears anything like that, it's it's off to the races, because I think what they're worried about is the Fed is just gonna stay way too tight, way too long, any recognition. That's what the market's waiting for. And I think it could very yeah. well happen. We have another three and a half months, um, and uh, we could see a rally. We're passing through that difficult all like right. September <laughs> period.
4: Well, the clock's ticking right here we are already you know mid-september but, but we'll see uh professor i always appreciate the conversation with you we'll talk to you soon that's professor jeremy siegel at the wharton mm-hmm. school um, my thanks to steve leesman uh as well for being here with us uh lucky to have you today as this number comes in and we need to think always, about all of these ramifications to to happy to uh, be so here. that's steve leesman our senior economics reporter straight ahead tech is among the biggest decliners in today's sell-off as you know the question now should you own it here uh should you buy the dip that's a legitimate question
9: Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
4: All right, we're back in Huntington Beach, California today, the Future Proof Conference. Uh, Brenda Vangelo has joined the conversation now to talk about technology stocks, which are tanking today. Yields are up after that inflation read. Guys, if we could pull up some of the, the stocks out of the NASDAQ 100, just to show uh, the degree to which some of these stocks are, are, are down uh, today, meadow. it really is astounding, right? We came on the air, Brenda, Nasdaq was down 500 points. It's down mm-hmm. 400 plus uh, at the moment. Here's what Savita Subramanian of Bank of America today uh, said on Squawk Box. I want you to listen to this, and we'll discuss it on the other side about owning technology.
0: I wouldn't own tech for the for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, I think that higher growth, longer duration stocks could still be hurt by rising yields, by a rising discount rate. I mean, here's the thing. I think that we need to get to a positive real rate of return for investors to actually start investing in bonds again. And that is not the case today. The real rate of returns is roughly zero. It's flirting between, you know, negative and, and positive territory. So in in the near future, I think there's upside pressure to race to the 10-year and long duration stocks like growth year stocks are going to get hurt in that environment.
4: All right. That's Savita Subramanian of Bank of America. And let's be clear, too. Um, she's not necessarily saying, oh, if you own tech right now, sell everything you have. Uh, I think this is more as you take a look at the Nasdaq 100, literally one stock within the Nasdaq 100 is still in the green, everything else is in the red. Um, But what about uh, what she says here about, I would not own technology for the foreseeable future?
10: I don't agree. And I would say, you know, when we think about what could come about in the future. We think, you know, there is an increasing likelihood that we're going to enter this lower growth period and potentially even go into recession. And in that kind of environment, you typically want to own you know, high quality growth stocks. And a lot of the, the tech names fall into that category. Do you want to own unprofitable tech? No. And I agree with that completely. You don't want to own unprofitable tech here. But I think when we look at where could the market go in the future, I think it's highly likely that we shift towards more growth-oriented investments here. And we look at many of those names that make up those large-cap technology group, And there's incredible themes that are continuing to play out with the shift to the cloud, for example, that's really going to support a lot of those businesses, even if we do see more economic uh, slowing happening here, uh, particularly if the Fed continues to raise rates as aggressively as we now all expect that they might.
4: See, this becomes a a question more so, Josh, of of whether you would want to buy the dip, right? It's not a sell everything you have call. It's a whether you should buy the pullback, which is significant. I was just looking at Meta's down 7.5%. Nvidia's down 7.5%. Show me Apple, guys, uh, if you could, too. The point being that, yes, the highest of high growth and higher valuation stocks may be the ones most susceptible. There you go, Apple, okay? was 164 yesterday. Yeah. Not anymore today. Down 4.5%.
5: Yeah, uh, listen, I don't think it's a question of, do you buy it? I think the question is, if you were to buy today, are your expectations that you're getting the absolute best price you're going to get? I think if you're going into an investment that way, it's the wrong mentality. You have to be okay with understanding that there could be further downside. That being said, when you're using technicals, there are certain charts that are just absolute falling knives. I've been talking about the semiconductors all summer. Even with that huge bounce that we had, those stocks never broke out back into an uptrend. Those stocks are an important signal for all of enterprise tech spending, all of consumer tech spending. They mean everything. And we had substantial double ordering. We now know that. Those, those charts reflect that. Even the bounces don't get us back into a place mm-hmm. where we're seeing that consolidation. The buyers are not showing up. The buyers know better.
4: Steph, props to you too, um, because as it relates to these semiconductor stocks, uh, for many months now, and long before some of the, the carnage happened, you worried about uh, double ordering. And you said it so many times on this show as to reasons why you you didn't love the chip stocks. Even while you were in some of them, you knew there was going to be a pain ahead. But to the question of these kinds of declines that we're seeing today, do you look at that and say, I need to be I need to be a buyer of the dip here or no, because I can get them cheaper coming up?
7: Yeah, I've been underweight tech in general all year and then specifically semis uh, beginning in March. But I did buy Broadcom back about a month ago uh, because it had fallen substantially. And it is trading at 13 times earnings. And it does yield 3.2 percent. And oh, by the way, it was on last week. We talked about the good quarter that they had. Semiconductor revenue, total revenue at the company grew 32 percent year over year. They've been doing M&A, doing M&A and uh, that's helping in terms of the software mix. And they're, uh, and, and they're in the trends, they're in the areas that I like, right? AI cloud data center, and it's an Apple uh, play, because you know I'm massively underweight Apple. Um, and so there, you could pick your spots, but I def- definitely still think we have um, you know, a, a large road ahead of us, a big road ahead of us, because we have the double ordering and we haven't even begun to really see it that much. I just think that Broadcom is a special situation, but you know my, my take on tech. I have some value, some growth. Um, IBM and Meta, and by the way, those two also are trading at 13 times forward estimates, and IBM gets you a 5% yield. I like what they're doing in terms of the cloud and in terms of the mainframe refresh cycle, and they've simplified the story. And on the growth side, I only own two names, Accenture and Fortinet. They both are, continue to crush it. Oh. I mean, Accenture has $8.5 billion in free cash flow, and they've been doing a lot of m and So I'm very, very selective within tech, but yeah, I think you know I have my eyes open, obviously, on any kind of big, bigger pullbacks, not here.
4: Yeah, I have my eyes open, too, at the bottom right corner of uh, your screen, everybody, where the Dow is down 900. Uh, Jason Snipe, the issue of buying this pullback, uh, which is rather dramatic in some of the stocks that you own.
3: Absolutely, Scott. So I think for me, I think it's hard to buy buy the dip here with a Fed that's very much engaged. You mentioned Apple earlier, you know, Apple trading at 25 times with a market at 17 and a half. You know, it's it's hard to buy, buy, buy names or, or buy the dip, I should say, right now. But, um, you know, there, there are areas, as Steph mentioned, there's areas of the market that I like. In tech, you know, cybersecurity is a place that I really like. Palo Alto is one of our favorite names, 25 percent revenue growth in the last quarter. You know, these are areas that I think there, there's earnings growth there, that there's opportunity. You know, but as it relates to tech broadly, I think it's hard to, to buy it here. You know, and I think there, there, will be lower, there will be lower opportunities going forward. But that's not, again, that's not exactly why you buy stocks. But I think it's just, it, it's tough if you're looking at it in the short run. But in the long run, you know, over the next several months, I think there will be opportunities will continue to present themselves.
4: All right. Appreciate that, Jason. And Brenda, appreciate you being with us as well. That's Brenda Vangelo joining us out here in Huntington Beach today. Energy is the best performer in today's big sell-off. One stock in that group is actually rallying right now, Josh Brown owns it. We're going to talk about it and discuss how the committee is viewing the energy space on the drop. Bryn Talkington is here. She's joining us next as well. We're back right after this on the half.
7: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy
0: to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
11: I'm Frank Collin. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Officials in Armenia say that at least 49 soldiers have been killed in clashes along the border with Azerbaijan. Both countries have blamed each other for the escalation amid disputes over territory. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has urged an end to military hostilities and said there can be no military solution to this conflict. Ukraine is continuing to win back territory as Russians pull back from captured towns in the Donbass region. There are reports of Ukrainian soldiers burning Russian flags and tearing down banners. President Zelensky said the Ukrainian forces have retaken significant areas around Kharkiv and the in the east of the country. He has continued to ask allies for more military support. And at the Emmys last night, some familiar favorites took home some big awards. Ted Lasso won for Best Comedy and Succession was named Best Drama. Zendaya won Best Actress for her lead role in Euphoria and Lee Jung-jae won Best Actor for his breakout performance in Squid Games. Scott, back over to you.
4: All right, that's Frank Collin. Thank you very much. Energy is one of the best sectors today. It is down two percent amidst this sell-off, helped in part by Chenier, which is up three percent after increasing its guidance. Josh Brown happens to own that stock here with me now. Uh, it's nice to see at least something green on a day like this. We'll, we'll take it. We'll <laughs> right? take it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, this
5: is a very simple story to understand. Um, the world does not have as much natural gas as it needs as we head into winter that's going to become more and more uh, on the forefront in in global news this is just going to be a huge story it's not just about oil this is natural gas and ultimately electricity and electricity shortages right now are part of the inflation story globally you cannot move goods you cannot do the things that you need to do to bring prices down no matter what the fed says so lng is a bright spot this is a company that just came out and told shareholders the debt repurchase plan is ahead of schedule they're raising the dividend they're raising the buyback cash flow is going to be way ahead and then they looked at their long-term capital allocation plan and they're talking about distributing 20 billion dollars between now and 2026 there are very few companies in as much of a sweet spot right now as lng if you've been a long-term holder spent a long time with no gains um, but this stock broke out i brought it to the show about 140 on the technical breakout now i want to stay long
4: so brent i mean you've been on the right side of the energy trade uh from the beginning really and now what do we make of it here um given where inflation is what we need to think about the dollar where oil prices natural gas prices are and where they may be going and what the correlation is to equities because it's not always one to one there
0: No, and I've I've been thinking for some time that if you're really bullish on the S&P for the rest of the year, you can't be that bullish on energy. And so I do think those contradict each other. I think Mark Fisher last week was talking about we had the sell off a little bit in natural gas and energy. He's like, this is a great time to get back in. So all year long, energy has been a buy the dip. I think that will continue to be the case because you also have winter, as Josh alluded to, Winter is not something that's debatable. I think what's happening overseas, what's happening in Europe and Ukraine, winter could be really dicey. And so I think the jury is not out. I think going into the next four months, the wind is going to be on the back, especially of nat gas. And so there's, I think LNG is a great way to play it. There's a good ETF, FCG. That's my first trust that owns a basket of natural gas companies. Are
4: you like Devon or you own Devon?
0: Well, right. So, so you know, as Josh is you know walking through the points on Chenier, you know Devin does a huge stock buyback. It has a free co- cash flow yield like five times the S and P. And so, energy as a sector is cheap. It's the cheapest sector bar none. Highest free cash flow yield. And so, I think as long as inflation continues to remain sticky, which it will, you want to buy the dip on energy and highest, own those. Names. Highest
5: earnings growth and lowest valuation Ooh. on a price to earnings growth. But that's that's very interesting. To have one group be both simultaneously the cheapest with the best growth that you very rarely see that set up.
4: Jason Snipe, you
3: own the XLE, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, so I I agree with all the points here on energy. I mean, the supply and demand supply demand narrative hasn't changed at all. You know, and, and when I think about capital discipline on the energy front, I mean, many of these companies did very well through the pandemic. I mean, the world was turned off you know, for almost 18 months. So when I think about the Chevrons, the, the, the names that comprise in the L- XLE, I mean, they're going to continue to benefit from the supply demand narrative and also free cash flow, as, as Bryn mentioned, dividends. I mean, this, this is, these are the themes of this market and energy is, is right where you need to be. So they're swinging right in this space. And, I, and, and that's why I think I'm, I am continue to be bullish on, in this space. So, Stephanie Link, if, if energy is about now 5%
4: or so of the S&P, you're double the benchmark in your own portfolio, right? Are you up yeah. to about 10% now?
7: Yeah, I'm up to 10%. I have been for, for a while. And I think, as everyone talked about, there are structural changes happening in the industry companies are producing less, they're producing more shareholder returns. The SPR runs out in October. The SPR reserves is at actually 1984 levels, which is ridiculous, and OPEC just cut. So all these things keep the supply side of the equation very tight. Sure demand is going to come down a little bit, but the supply side is really has it's changed. And if Warren Buffett continues to be buying Occidental Petroleum, which we just learned he bought more on Friday, I'm buying and I own that one in a big way as well.
4: All right. Thank you, guys. Brent, thank you so much for being with us today as well. Straight ahead, rising rates in the financials. There is a bullish call on one big bank stock. It's up about 4% in a week. We'll find out how the committee is positioning in this group. Liz Young is with us next on The Half. We're back. Shares of Bank of America are lower today. The stock, though, is getting a bullish call from Wells Fargo. They reiterate the overweight rating on the bank. Uh, you can see it's uh, down 2.5%. I mentioned Liz Young has joined us here in Huntington Beach as well. So on one side, you'd say, okay, rates are up a lot. That's going to be good for the banks. The problem with that is if you're worried about the economy, and there's a report today that J.P. Morgan sees investment banking fees in the third quarter down 45 to 50%. You weigh the challenges versus the rewards, which wins out? The challenges or the rewards?
1: Well, so there's a couple things. I think in this environment, when we're debating whether or not we're going to go into a deep recession, we all have this muscle memory of 2008, 2009, and we can't forget it, right? So we're looking at it as, oh my gosh, are we going to completely catapult into this debt crisis and everything goes under? No, I don't think that's the case. I think that we've purposely avoided that with a lot of regulations, and the banks are much better capitalized today, so that's not a risk in the sense that it was back then. As far Doesn't as the mean op- the stocks
4: are going to work, though, right? That's right. True. The balance so, sheets are balance sheets are fantastic.
1: Right. right? Well, right. Com- comparatively, yes. Well, but, right. That, so yes. that
4: takes the scenario you're likening it to off the table. Right. But do the stocks work in the scenario which I painted at the top? So that's
1: that's what I was going to get to. I think in the next ninety days to six months, they probably don't work great. I mean, rates are up. But we're more deeply inverted today, which we all know is not good for financials, right? And as borrowing costs rise, that's going to hurt their opportunity for revenue. And you look at things like housing affordability spiking higher. So there's not a ton of revenue opportunity in the near term. But if you look at the valuations, I think in the last segment you guys were talking about energy being the lowest valued sector in the index. Financials is the second lowest. So they've already gotten killed, and they haven't had a ton of upside opportunity this year. It is a good time, I think, to start dripping in, even if we're late cycle. But then you got to hold it into the next cycle.
4: Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I was just looking at the the two-year 375 uh, on the screen as 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 you were you were talking there, and you see the uh, the XLF is is down two and three quarters percent. Steph, it's Bank of America, it's Berkshire, it's Morgan Stanley, and it's Wells. Now, what's your outlook on the banks, yes, given I, where we are?
7: I, yeah. So, I mean, I am very overweight the banks at this point. When I, or, when I actually added to Berkshire. Berkshire is a little different animal. I don't actually consider it a financial. It's really more of a play on kind of, the, they have, you know, the biggest rail company in the country. Um, it's Apple, as I mentioned, Oxy. So it's a little bit of a different animal. By the way, they have $100 billion in cash. He can do whatever he wants. So that one is kind of a defensive play. But these others are trading at 1 to 1.2 times book. And that traditionally has been a very good time to own banks. And for Bank of America, I mean, Mike Mayo is the analyst that was reiterating it today from Wells, but and he's been liking it for a long time time, but I think he makes a very good point that they they will benefit from higher rates. They have a a trillion dollars in sticky deposits. The low end of rates is where they benefit, right? In addition, it's a tech play. They bought, they spent $30 billion over the last decade on technology, and it doesn't get any credit for being a fintech company. They have good cost controls, good discipline there, and at a a conference today, they talked about uh, NII being up 20% year-over-year in the third quarter. So it's cheap, I don't think there's a lot of downside, especially if you don't have a deep, deep recession. And so I that's one I really like a lot. Wells is my is my biggest position, but I really like Bank of America as well.
4: Yeah. You were talking about net interest income just to make sure we're we're all speaking the same language here. Uh, Jason Snipe. Right. Right. Bank stocks being cheap. (laughs) I always try to do that. Uh, Jason Snipe, banks being cheap relative to the rest of the market will get you a ham sandwich. I mean, it doesn't mean anything necessarily (laughs) if the market is going to be
3: upset further from here. Yeah, no doubt about it, Scott. I mean, price does matter, but to your point, if there, if there's no growth ahead, you know, what what does it matter? You know, so, but for me, I think when I, when I look at the banks, it, I mean, there, there's little stories that I think you need to pay attention to. One, if I'm looking at the asset managers, I think, you know, when you're looking at trading, trading volume, trading volatility, I think, you know, Goldman comes to mind and there's other opportunities, BlackRock you know, is, an, is another name we like. And then, you know, wh- when it looks, when we're talking about the yield curve, and obviously this has been, we're talking about an inversion now, it's not a steepening of the curve, you know, rates rising, I think net interest income, obviously, as Steph just mentioned, is an important uh, story to pay attention to. And when I look at that, I, I think of the regionals, and I also think of a Bank of America, which is well situated there. So you know, I I think price matters. You know, if I'm looking at the the market in totality, you know, I think financials could be could be another area, you know, to look to as you as you're kind of traveling through a very volatile market. All right, Jason, thanks
4: for that. Liz, thank you for being with us as well. That's Liz Young of SoFi today. Mike Santoli. He's with us next for his midday word. We'll be right back after this on the Halftime Report. All right. Welcome back to the Halftime Report today, live in Huntington Beach. There's Mike Santoli back at the stock exchange for our midday word. Oh, no. I mean, what, what is it?
2: I mean, uh, you know, uh, Lucy pulled the football away again, I guess. Uh, you know, it's interesting that in a stroke, uh, the stock market sort of wipes away three days worth of gains. Just think about that. We're back to Wednesday's close thereabouts in the S&P 500, even given the fact that that the bond markets really had to reprice pretty radically. I don't mean that that's a modest move down 3% in one day, but it tells you, I think, how volatile the expectations have been moving around. This was a bad miss on CPI, but it seems worse based on how the market was leaning going into it. Uh, So I think it basically defers relief for another month, at least, in terms of the the peak inflation story. And here we are figuring out how much pain it's going to have to take, perhaps, uh, on financial conditions and the real economy to get – uh, to get inflation on the path it needs to be. So uh, I think it uh, it's reinforces this frustrating range we've been in.
4: Everybody's weighing in on it, too. Nomura goes to 100 bips uh, coming yeah. next week. So we're, we'll see. And we'll see you back in overtime uh, today. Right. Um, Mike Santoli as well. See you in just a little bit. Final trades are next. All right, we're back here at the Future Proof Conference in Huntington Beach, California. One of the reasons I'm here is to speak live today uh, at the conference with Jeffrey Gunlock of Double Line. And I'm going to bring you sound from Jeffrey in overtime today. So I look forward to our conversation coming up in a couple hours' time. And then I'll bring it to you uh, in a few hours uh, in overtime as well. And what a day to have that conversation with Jeffrey. Let's do some final trades. Stephanie Link, what do you have for us today?
7: So Corteva, they have an Investor Day today. They just increased their buyback to $2 billion. They just increased their buyback a month ago to $1 billion. So now you've got $3 billion. Uh, you have pricing power. You have crop prote- protection exposure. And, uh, and it's just a great management team.
3: Jason Snipe. Yeah, like Palo Alto here. As you shift through the carnage, I think Palo Alto with 25 percent revenue growth ahead. I mentioned it early at the top of the show. I think there still continues to be an opportunity. I like it. All right. Congrats on this event, by the way. What's your final trade?
5: I think the most viable dips there are in this market are in energy. IEO is U.S. producers. That's where you want to be this
4: year. Okay. thanks again. Thank Uh, you, Judge. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
9: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, Unlock the energy and order yours at
0: Acura.com.